What's up, Seamus? Hey, Will. Welcome to LA. Uh, yeah, it's my old home. I used to live here. That's right. You did. You went, to, you went to school here. Yeah, my wife is from here. So this is my... When I'm coming here, I actually feel probably the most home out of Pittsburgh. Los uh-huh. Angeles is my second home. Must feel good to get some some sunshine on your face. Yeah. Because you're, sure. you're really in the thick of winter right now. I'm in the thick of winter, but spring, I can feel it in the air. You know, East Coast, that feeling of just like you smell it in the air. Punxsutawney Phil. <laughs> yeah. Isn't, isn't Punxsutawney Phil from like outside of Pittsburgh? Yeah. Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Punxsutawney. Shout out uh-huh. to the there we 50 go. people that live there. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit more than that. Exactly. <laughs> so, well, talking about vitamin D and skin, um, today we got to sit down with Dr. Enigma Talib, who is uh, kind of the queen of, of healthy skin, but treating it from the inside out. It was a really fascinating conversation. Yeah. She is a world-leading naturopathic doctor based here in the great city of Los Angeles. And she's the founder of Healthy Docs Clinic, and she's a best-selling author of her book, Reverse the Signs of Aging, and Younger Skin Starts in the Gut, which we're going to talk all about. Today, we're going to really break it down of how healthy skin and health in general begin in the gut, what to do for that, practical steps that really anybody can can start doing. All right, let's dive in with Dr. Nigma Talib. Dr. Nigma, I am so pumped this is happening. This is so cool. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is like a dream come true to be on your show, Will. <laughs> Wait a second. What am I? Chopped liver? <laughs> Jeez Louise. I said yesterday to Seamus, he's my the, the Batman to my Robin. So I'm just Robin here. You're Robin? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I get to drive the cool car. <laughs> your, your boy wonder. <laughs> that's right. Awesome. So for people that don't know what you do, and you do amazing things in the space of what we do in functional medicine and naturopathic medicine. Can you explain to people what you do? So I am a naturopathic doctor. And so what a naturopathic doctor is, is we think of an umbrella and under the umbrella, we do things like homeopathy, nutritional biochemistry, acupuncture. Um, Obviously, functional medicine is, you know, our, our baseline. It's our foundation. Mm -hmm. We look at the root cause of illness. Uh, We also, we look at the conventional model, medical model, and we use a complementary model as well. So Mm -hmm. I think it's like marrying both. Mm -hmm. But our our main premise of treating patients is looking at the root cause versus mm-hmm. covering it up with a drug or even a supplement. So we're always trying to figure out what is happening at the cellular level, mm-hmm. why that patient is suffering from mm-hmm. that illness. Well, can you tell us a little bit about your path to coming to this this practice? Definitely. I When I was, I, I was 12 years old, and I had a lot of digestive issues. Mm-hmm. And I kept going to gastroenterologists, and they kept saying I had IBS, which, Will, mm-hmm. you know, that's mm-hmm. a cop-out diagnosis. Sure, it's a garbage problem. Right? It's a yeah. garbage. You know this. Yeah. Yeah. We actually met in London, and yeah, we talked about many, this. many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah, at a food show. Yeah. And so... You know, I had all these health conditions and all these gastroenterologists kept prescribing antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, and I was just getting worse. And so mm-hmm. my father, my father is like always like knows everything. He's like, I'm going to get you to see a naturopathic doctor. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what's that? Hmm. And um, I think I was younger than 12, actually. And we went to a naturopathic doctor and literally within three months, I was almost 100% better. Hmm, so wow. I cut out the bad foods that were affecting my digestion. Mm-hmm. Um, I cut out the bad bacteria. You know, Will, as you know, there's all these endotoxins that get created and they mm-hmm. cause a you know, whole 
uh, a surge of cytokine inflammation that you know that just causes mm-hmm. whole body inflammation. So I was having reactions yeah. to my whole body, skin issues, gut issues. So I said, you know what? Dad, I'm going to be a naturopathic doctor because I when you were really, 12. yeah, I, I was like, yeah. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. I want to do this. I want to help yeah. people on a larger scale. Yeah. And so, you know, that that was my passion. Started at a very very young age. This was in Vancouver. This was in Vancouver. Wow. Yes, the best, one of the best cities in the world. I love Vancouver. It is. It's so beautiful. So, I know you as this amazing doctor that that has really this cult following in London, around the world. But you were based in London for a while. Now you're here in Los Angeles, and you talk about the, these four faces of aging, and you talk a lot about anti-aging and, and being youthful and slowing down the aging process, but you talk about the wine face, the gluten face, the sugar face, the dairy face. Did I get them all? You did. You <laughs> okay, did. So well done. Can you explain what that means? <laughs> what, what, is, what is that? So I, I developed this because I kept seeing in practice, my patients would come in to see me, and I would look at them, and I'd be like you have dairy face. Mm. And they'd be like, how did you know? And so Uh I kept seeing certain characteristics when you eat a particular food over and over again. So there's dairy face, you get the dark circles under the eyes, the the puffiness around the eyelids, Mm. you can get acne, and then you have sugar face, which is not a sweet face. You get Mm. the (laughs) sagging of the skin, Uh, you get acne breakouts. So sugar equals skin sagging, if you want to think of it that way. And then you have gluten face. You know, think about how you look the next day after eating pizza, right? Mm-hmm. Your face is swollen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got that puffiness, and then d- you've got dairy as well with the pizza. So you know, it's a whole shebang. And then wine and sugar are quite similar mm-hmm. in the sense that wine is um, kind of sugar; it ferments in the gut. And so, what I found in those four faces is, if I had my patients avoiding those four groups. Mm-hmm. I would see amazing results. And it was a best way to sort of get people's attention to, you know, why they should be avoiding these foods and maybe cutting them out 80% of the time mm-hmm. and allowing them in your diet 20% of the time. So it's not like you can never do this because I love wine. You know, I <laughs> mm-hmm. love a nice glass of wine with a nice meal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not something I'm going to do every single day as a ritual mm-hmm. because a lot of people do. They come home and the first thing they do is they have a glass of wine yeah. to unwind. It's so yeah. common. Right. I mean, it becomes yeah. habit, and it's really easy once that once you're doing. I find I fall victim to that. I tend to be either I'm going through a phase where I'm not drinking at all, or else I'm like, oh, I'm having a glass of wine at the end of the day, and and it ends up being like that. Sort of, you get so used to just doing it over and over again, mm-hmm. you don't even begin. You don't realize that now you're suffering from wine face because you were doing it all the time. <laughs> and also, your sleep is poor. Anyone mm-hmm. who is listening out there, the Goop fellows, um, you know, they'll notice their sleep is not optimal. And when you're not getting optimal sleep, what's happening? You're mm-hmm. not regenerating, right. you're prematurely aging. And mm-hmm. this is not so much about anti-aging. It's like, why force aging on somebody right. prematurely? You know, yeah. We're, aging is beautiful. Right. It is right. nothing wrong with aging. It's you're just, right. it's, it, you know, when you have puffy eyelids, you look older. Yeah. You know, it's not so much about wrinkles and fine lines. Because I think wrinkles and fine lines are kind of sexy, mm-hmm. especially in men. Oh, and you, women, too, actually. Thank you very much. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it looks, yeah. I think it's the texture of your skin. Yeah. Like, your texture of your skin is really nice. It's old. No, it looks good. <laughs> Thank you. How so, about mine, Nigma? Give me some. Oh, well, you, oh my you, you this look, guy, he's like a boy. He's you're, you're like, over there. You look amazing. And if you follow the plan, you're going to look like an embryo. So <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Button over there. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. So 
people, you mentioned the 80-20 rule, and I deal a lot with uh, seeing patients with autoimmune conditions, like mm -hmm. Seamus has gone through in the past. And a lot of times, like certain foods, like the 80-20 rule doesn't work for everybody. The, right. the gluten, maybe for some yeah. of the things they do. But like, do you make exceptions for that? I mean, obviously, some people can't have 20% of gluten in their diet. 100%. That's really good. Thank you yeah. for bringing mm -hmm. that up. Some people have to completely take yeah. out things like dairy and gluten. Those yeah. those two things, um, you know, really have a huge impact. Sugar as well. You know, sugar is a really big one. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What is the statistic? You know, 200 American, the average American consumes 200 pounds, pounds of sugar, sugar a, year. Yeah. a yeah. year. I mean, it's insane. And we know that sugar causes glycation, you know, mm -hmm. advanced glycation end products, which in English means that your, you know, the sugar is going to stick to your white blood cells. It's going to cause elasticity issues. Mm -hmm. And think of our, our blood uh, circulatory system. We have mm -hmm. 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's a lot of blood vessels. And if you take into consideration the elasticity that's compromised by people that eat sugar, you're looking at diabetes. You're looking at, I even think that we have people walking around with low-grade diabetes, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like everybody's walking around with inflammation and Will wrote an amazing book to talk about inflammation and how to treat it and what it is. And that's caused from things like sugar. So, mm -hmm. you know, sugar is a really, really big one. And in, in, in terms of aging prematurely, mm -hmm. that's if, if you want to age prematurely, sugar is your, you yeah. know, go-to. <laughs> so you're, you're not of the opinion that... Um, that you need to, to, for instance, if you're gluten intolerant or you're, or you're gluten sensitive, that you need to cut it out 1000%. You cannot have it at all. Because I know a lot of people who are very, you know, they're, who are very anti-gluten say, well, uh, you, you either, either you eat it or you don't. And it's not like this 80-20 rule at all. Yes. I mean, I think if you're celiac, you have to 100% mm -hmm. cut it out. And then there are patients that are celiac. They, they don't have celiac, but they have all the same reactions yeah. mm -hmm. as a celiac patient yeah. would, and they have to cut it out. I do have some patients that, for example, they'll go to Italy and they'll eat the gluten there and they don't have the same response right. as they have when they're in mm -hmm. North America. So those patients know they can tolerate small amounts of gluten. So yeah. I think yeah. really it's up to the patient to actually yeah, diagnose himself <coughs> and say, you know, this is you know, the time yeah. I can try it. This is the time I cannot. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's something. It's a that's like a, a conversation piece I have all the time with people. They say, "Well, you know, I'm fine with dairy when I go to Italy, or when I go to Italy, I have I have the bread or the pasta, and it's an, it's a non-issue." Yeah. And I think that people immediately jump on this and say, "Well, that's because most of the gluten in in, in Italy is not GMO, and so it doesn't have a, as high a gluten content." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the glyphosate. And, and the glyphosate, well. right from 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 GMO um, uh, wheat. But I think one of, part of the equation that people kind of miss on that is that, uh, you know, is, and Will knows all about this, but our bodies are being bombarded by inflammatory toxins all the time, and we're, we're constantly, our immune system is in a constant state of fighting off pathogens. And a big part of that is, is, uh, is also stress. When we're in our daily lives here in the world, in our, you know, in, whether you're in LA or whatever city you are, and, and you're going through your daily, daily life, you have all of these kind of paper cuts that are adding up from stress. And then you go on vacation to Italy, and you're not dealing with all this other stuff. So your body has suddenly has more resources to deal with some of these other things. So it's it part of it is also the the holistic approach of understanding that when you're on vacation, you you can probably tolerate a little bit more, or you're not as you're not thinking about your boss, or you're not thinking about that daily commute to work. So suddenly, okay, you're, you can handle a little bit more of this, these things that would otherwise be more toxic to you. 
That is so good that you said that because it's like, you know, when you're in Italy, you're on a holiday or, mm-hmm. you know, you can eat things when you're on holiday. You f- a lot of people feel better when they're on holiday. And we mm-hmm. know that cortisol, that stress exactly. hormone, impacts the, the integrity of the gut lining. Yeah. We know that leaky gut and stress are hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So we know there's one cell layer between our gut Mm -hmm. internal organs and the rest of our body. There's Mm -hmm. only one cell. Mm -hmm. So any kind of compromisation of that cell that allows, you know, for bacteria or toxins Mm -hmm. to float in through that, you know, the gap junctions, then we're we're talking serious autoimmune, inflammation. Mm -hmm. We know the whole LPS, lipopolysaccharides, those endotoxins that stimulate all this inflammatory cascade. And so, you know, it just, it gets worse and worse because then people crave sugar because that bacteria is craving that, you know, so yeah. it's like a vicious... I think it's a confluence of factors, right? I mean, it's like, it's the stress, it's the food supply, it's all that stuff. Um, the, you, a lot of the foods that we talked about with the wine face and the sugar face and the gluten face centered around the gut and mm-hmm. this intestinal permeability. And you coined a term called digest aging. Did I say it right? Yes. So I love that. <laughs> and... Can you talk about the connection there between our skin, our skin health, and gut health? Absolutely. Because so, you clearly haven't figured out because your skin is gorgeous. Oh, thank you, yeah, Seamus. You, you <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a massive correlation. So, uh, you know, again, that's why I would look at my patients and say, you have mm-hmm. gluten face, you have sugar face. And I kept, when, I, when we cut those out, we actually help repair the gut lining. Mm-hmm. And when you help repair the gut lining, what are you doing? You're improving the absorption of vitamins, minerals, nutrients, mm-hmm. all the things that we need to support our body. You're also helping the liver not be so bogged down with toxins. Mm -hmm. So you're allowing the liver to to naturally get rid of toxins out of the system. So what is the end result? Your skin looks brighter. Your skin looks healthier. So Mm -hmm. the direct reflection of what's going on on, in your gut is going to show up on your skin. Think of it as a dashboard to your car. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're running out of gas, it's going to tell you. It's the same thing with your skin. If you're breaking out or you're getting eczema or you're getting any kind of dermatitis, you know, you can see that immediate reaction. And people actually find when they follow the four-week plan, they actually tell me, Dr. Enigma, I've noticed that people are telling me I look younger Mm -hmm. and I haven't even done anything. I've just followed this plan. And I'm sure you get that all the time, Will, and, you know, Seamus, Mm -hmm. with your advice, people are saying, well, wow, I actually look and I feel younger. So when you say the four-week plan, that's in your book, right? That's in the book, Younger skin starts in the gut. That's the name of the book. Yes, yes. And it really does. It really does. You know, we live in a world where people are injecting a lot of crazy things in their face. Mm And for me, I've noticed with my patients, they're looking at things much more differently. They want to to feel healthy from within right. and um, have their outer appearance. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, you'll be able to see the results when you follow the plan. And we both see this in clinical practice mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Do you find that people are using fillers and, and things like Botox less like because they are seeing, learning about lifestyle and how that can impact their skin? It's not just the injectables? 100%. Mm-hmm. At least my patients are. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you're finding this in your mm-hmm. practice. But what I'm noticing is patients are less, They, you know, they go and get Botox less, they go and get filler less, because they're more looking at treating from within. And they're mm-hmm. realizing the importance of, of that. And I think it's about just educating your patient on that area. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying people are not still doing Botox and fillers, but I in my patient base, I would say it's much, much less. Yeah. I think you need to have a good foundation, right? So are we moving away from like Accutane and all of this in terms of treatment for, for skin issues? Yes. I mean, 
uh, we're seeing so many bad side effects from mm. Rakutane, mm-hmm. you know, from patients that have taken it, you know, even five years later. Right. We're having to fix up, yeah, you know, the issues, mess, yeah. um, you know, in the liver, mm-hmm. in the gut. Um, it's it's huge, yeah. you know. So I think people are also recognizing that that's not the first line of defense. We need to look at the connection between the gut, the hormones, because those are very tightly linked. Right. How your gut is is your hormones are going to be represented. Mm-hmm. You know, most of our feel good hormones are also made in our gut and right. our brain, the serotonin neurotransmitter. And so we also find that people, when they get off these foods, they actually feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, any kind of anxiety or depressive-like symptoms, they feel much, much better. Mm-hmm. Right. Something that you and I have talked about before that um, is not talked a lot about when he talks about when we talk about real food is vegetables and making sure they're cooked when it comes to gut health. Can you explain to people about that? Because a lot of people think, okay, a kale salad or right. all these leafy greens are super amazing, but they're feeling bloated or they're having digestive problems from it. Mm-hmm. Can you shed light on that? Totally. I mean, I think if you think of it this way, your body, when you're eating food, you know, you think when you eat, you're going to get energy, right? Mm-hmm. But you feel tired after you eat. Why? Sure, because you're, it, it, there's a caloric load to try to actually digest that food exactly. and process it. Yeah. Your body has to make enzymes, which are proteins, to break down these foods. Now, think of like kale. You know, it or or anything raw, it's really hard to break that down. And your stomach acid has a is very acidic, where it should mm-hmm. be acidic. But by the time you hit forty and above, your stomach acid is more alkaline than it used to be. So we want it to be acidic. We want the stomach to be really nice and acidic because it helps break down. It helps increase B twelve. You know, it helps all these things in the body. Mm-hmm. So if you're eating raw vegetables, and number one, how many of us really chew? The right. heck out of that. Not me. I'm, right. I'm no. not at that. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we force food down because we have so many other things to yeah. do, that, like check Instagram, you know. <laughs> <laughs> really important Really important things. things. Really Lofty important things. things to do. Yeah. And so, you know, first of all, you're not chewing that food well enough, right. uh, the, the raw vegetables. Uh, and you're also not getting the nutrients from them. The nutrients actually get released when you steam them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to steam the vegetables and cook them. And even then we look at traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic, it's you know, eating raw vegetables is really hard on the digestive yeah. system. No, no. So anyone yeah. who has digestive problems, which is everyone, yeah. <laughs> eating raw vegetables yeah. is probably not your best bet, yeah. especially in the winter months or in the colder times where your body needs more warming foods. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. I, I personally love raw vegetables and I love a lot of raw fruit. And and I have to remind myself that it's really about a balance and making sure that I'm eating plenty of. And Will's been great at helping me with this. You know, I'm I'm I love to just eat huge salads with lots of radishes and everything else in it, and and yada yada yada. And then I realize, wait a second, if I cook this tur- this turnip in in broth until it's basically falling apart, I actually <laughs> feel a lot better and mm-hmm. probably have much more nutrient absorption through doing yeah. that. Absolutely, because we aren't just what we eat; we are what we absorb. We're taking right. all these good things in, but it's not as bioavailable. Yeah, and the nutrition content's coming down, right? But it's what what is left is more usable, mm-hmm. and it's not going to cause the stress of the body. So we've we've talked a lot about the sorts of things that you suggest to your patients to avoid or to limit. But what are what are your thoughts on are there are there foods that you like to integrate into 
um, into sort of a food plan for your patients when we're talking about skin health? Absolutely. So you want to eat the rainbow. You want to eat as many, you know, nutritious vegetables as possible, Mm -hmm. steamed, cooked, Mm -hmm. uh, and also, you know, up your protein because Mm -hmm. what is our collagen made up of, right? Mm -hmm. And as we get older, you know, our hormones change, you know, also eating for our hormones, Mm -hmm. things like... um, Brussels sprouts, cruciferous vegetables are yeah. really, really important at getting rid of the do- dirty hormones, I call them. Mm-hmm. You know, they pass through the system and your liver is 100% responsible for trucking out those yucky hormones that need to come out of the body. Now, if these hormones recycle, they actually become more toxic and they start signaling the wrong messages to your cells. So not only does that prematurely age you, but it makes you feel worse. So Mm -hmm. again, these wonderful foods like Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, these things that you broccoli, you can steam and really add to your your lunch and your dinner or Mm -hmm. your broths. I, I make a really nice broth like with a stew with lots of vegetables and some protein at least once or twice a week mm-hmm. where do you where do you net out with the vegetables and fruits and nightshades that tend to be more broadly inflammatory you know I think it's case by case uh-huh. you know not everybody reacts to nightshades you know although you know I, I'm sure will can expand on this a bit more but you know I think it's better than eating the wrong kinds of foods. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's like important to include them because if you're already limiting so many yeah. foods. I think it makes it more difficult for people to find things that they can actually eat. But I think Will can expand yeah. more on it's that. It's a what spectrum, you- right? I mean, I think some people can have some. Like you said, I agree with you guys on the gluten thing. It's like not everybody has to avoid gluten forever and ever, but right. it's a spectrum. Some people are going to have to avoid that more. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking a lot about epigenetic, these lifestyle things, something that you and I have talked about over the years is genetics and that being a component. We know that lifestyle is such a major driver of it. Mm -hmm. It's the predominance of it. But genetics is a factor. um, And we've kind of dug deep clinically on um, these gene variants that can be the predispositions for certain things. Can you explain to people the role that genetics play as far as health and longevity? Absolutely. So, you know, we have these things called single nucleotide polymorphism, SNPs, I call them. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. we look at these genes that can switch on and off like a light bulb. Mm-hmm. So if you eat in a, eat a certain way, you live a certain way, you can switch on that gene. So if you're indulging in bad habits, you're eating bad foods, um, drinking too much alcohol or whatever it is, you can switch on that pro-inflammatory genetic SNP that can lead you susceptible. The other factor is some people, for example, are constantly deficient in vitamin D, no matter what they do, right? Mm-hmm. So right. It's good to know if they have a poly- yeah. Is that you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, both of it's us. Me yeah. too. Yeah. And I have that VDR Double, gene. Mm-hmm. gene variant, not yeah. VD, but VDR, okay? Yeah. Let's <laughs> make that very point. clear. Yeah. We already read. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to talk about that. So it's it, <laughs> it's a snip on the DNA that, uh-huh. that says that, okay, you have a susceptibility to lower amounts of vitamin D. So that means that you have to take more vitamin D than the average person. And so that's good to know, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know that, okay, this is something I've got to be diligent with because I'm constantly loving it. We know vitamin D is a pro-hormone. It's an mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory. It's super, super important. We look at patients that have colon cancer. A lot of them have low vitamin D levels. Like, what is the correlation here? Mm-hmm. So knowing these polymorphisms, you know, even the MTHFR gene, you know, the methylation defects, good to know. I mean, although I do give everybody methylated 
you know, B vitamins. So, you know, it, you don't really need to check it. But sometimes it's important to know if your patient is, you've got them on bioidentical mm -hmm. hormones or something and they're just not, it's mm -hmm. not working for them. Can you explain, sorry, can you explain what methylated B vitamins are? Like what, what it means for somebody to be methylated? So you can have like a genetic defect mm -hmm. and not be able to absorb that type of B vitamin. And if you have that defect, I'm not going to go to the whole mechanism mm -hmm. of it, then when you take certain B vitamins, you're not actually absorbing, absorbing them. them. And we actually, them. you're just, pa you're passing them through. And it's not, it's preventing certain biochemical activities to happen in the body that, mm -hmm. you know, do various functions in your body. Um, you know, it's help with homocysteine levels, increase for cardiovascular risk, stroke, cancer, all yeah. of those things. So people can see that when they're reading their B vitamins like methylfolate or methylcobalamin, right? And yes. That's what they should look out for. Mm -hmm. Yes, they B should. Vitamins, yeah. And so, you know, those are really, I think, important to know. And yeah. whenever I can't figure out what's going on with a patient, I'll run a genomic profile on them to say, okay, how are they methylating? How are they getting rid of toxins out of their liver? Maybe they're slow acetylators. Mm -hmm. And so they're not able to, which means that, you know, they're not able to get the toxins out of the liver quick enough because of the way their liver is detoxifying. So then mm -hmm. what do we need to do? We need to support and enhance the liver's ability to mm -hmm. detoxify. So yeah. those are kind of good to know when mm -hmm. you have really difficult cases or people who can afford to do these kind of tests and really want to know where they stand. I think it's a really good test to do, you know, on any patient. Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? How do you support the de detoxification in the liver? So what you would want to do is, number one, you have to think about how do you get rid of toxins out of your body? Mm -hmm. You pee them out, you poo them out, and you sweat them out. So when you're dealing with all those three areas and optimizing them, so, you know, you want to look at things like milk thistle, which increases right. the production of glutathione. Glutathione is really hot topic right now. It has been for me for mm -hmm. 20 years. Right. I've always been in love with glutathione and magnesium. Those are my two love mm -hmm. of my lives. <laughs> and could marry them, I would. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, those are, you know, glutathione stores constantly get depleted. And some people, no matter what you do, you'll measure their glutathione levels and mm -hmm. uh, some of their, you know, their, we have panels that we can check to see what your glutathione mm -hmm. levels are. And even there's a genomic uh, SNP that tells us if you yeah. have a susceptibility of running out of glutathione. We look in Parkinson's disease, they have low glutathione levels all the time, continuously. Um, and there's more research in that area. So generally- so, And you're an advocate of exogenous glut glutathione. Yes. Absolutely, absolutely. How, how do you recommend for people to to take it? IV or a supplement? So or? you could you can take them in an oral format, or you can uh, you know some liposomal. Uh, yeah. There's some mm -hmm. really good liposomal. Yeah, glutathione. I take the Live On Labs. Yeah, like me the too. Packet of yeah, it. I take it as well. There's also a one called Ready Mead Glutathione that you can get. That's really really good. It's a Cetria. Um, it doesn't taste as bad as it used to. It used to be so awful. Oh, it's still very sulfuric. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not a very tasty. No, <laughs> but you can also take things like N-acetylcysteine mm -hmm. that convert produce as well, it, produce yeah. it, and also milk yeah. thistle as well that also increases bone density in uh -huh. women. So it's a really good thing to give for menopause. So glutathione is a great source or a great way to help increase detoxification of the liver, milk thistle. What other things are, do we want to look so at? It's really important. The first thing I ask my patients when I see them, mm -hmm. and it's probably not the nicest question to ask right away. <laughs> and getting how do to you know poop? That, <laughs> how many times do you poop a day? Uh -huh. And what does it look like? And, mm -hmm. you know, all of those kinds of things. And so, you know, making sure that you're pooping every day, you know, mm -hmm. at least twice a day. 
And when I tell At that to my, twice a day. I tell my patients that they're like, I'm lucky if I have a bowel movement, you know, once every two days. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we need to sort this out because mm-hmm. if you're not moving, you know, pollution out of your body, right. then you're going to accumulate that. Mm-hmm. And again, it's going to go through the liver process. The liver's going to get stagnated. So it's really important to clear out the bowels and make mm-hmm. sure that that person is going to the toilet regularly. Mm-hmm. And again, one of the issues is enzymes. They are not making enough enzymes. So that's why they feel super tired after they eat mm-hmm. because they are they don't have the enzymes to digest the food properly. Mm-hmm. So quite often I'll give them digestive enzymes specifically based on what they need, based on what they're eating, based on their age. If I think that their stomach acid is low, I might give a bit of betaine hydrochloride. You know, it depends on the patient. But again, mm-hmm. we want to optimize the movement um, of, of, you know, Waste. Waste through, mm-hmm. through the bowel. Wait, and what do you, what's your thought on colonics then for people that are, because I know it's sort of like, it's a very divisive topic for a lot of people. You know, I have, I have a love-hate relationship. You know, I feel like people are abusing it. If, if you're abusing it and doing it too much, mm-hmm. it can actually create SIBO. You can actually mm-hmm. create push bacteria into parts of an intestine that shouldn't be. Because the large and the small intestine, there's totally two different populations living in there. But what happens with colonics is you're moving bacteria around. And so I I do get concerned if people are overdoing it. I think it's helpful when you're doing patients have parasites and overgrowth of bacteria, and they are having a little bit of difficulty eliminating, you know, Mm -hmm. the odd colonic or coffee enema um, Mm -hmm. is quite helpful. Yeah. So, so much of like we have been talking about clear skin, healthy skin, health in general starts in the gut. Um, But Topical things in our skin skin play a part in our health as well, our skin health. So I don't know a lot about skin health. You're educating me on this. Um, a lot of people out there, men and women, maybe don't mm-hmm. know. They don't know very much about skin health. So what are what are some things that we should be putting on our skin for a better skin? That's that's a great question, and we have to think about it. Look at all of us now. The one thing that's exposed is our face and our neck. Mm-hmm. Everything else is covered. So. Right. Cleansing is a really, really important part of skin health is, you know, getting rid of all the pollution off of your skin because, Mm -hmm. you know, what what stays on your face is going to eventually go in systemically, right? Right. This is our largest organ. Yeah, one of our largest organs where it's taking in all, you know, all the pollution. So it's really important that when you come home from a long day that you actually cleanse your skin. Mm -hmm. And so I look at things like like colics, um, salicylics, hyaluronic acid, um, zeolites. I created a cleanser recently that yeah. I created, put it, all these products, because I wanted the perfect and cleanser. And that's on Goop, right? That's yeah. on Goop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this cleanser is just, it, you know, cleansing your skin is super important with like non-toxic compounds, obviously, in there. You don't want to be adding um, bad, you know, other ingredients that go in cosmetic products these mm-hmm. days are, mm-hmm. are not as clean. Uh, so you want to use a really good cleanser. And then things like hyaluronic acid, Plant stem cells, plant stem cells. I recently, you know, not recently, maybe five, six years ago, did an article on plant stem cells and how it protects your skin from UV um, light and also is an antioxidant. So protecting Mm -hmm. your skin as well and, uh, you know, increasing the um, hyaluronic acid. We know by the time we hit 40, we lose 
50% of our hyaluronic acid in mm -hmm. our skin. And hyaluronic acid is what gives us that glow, that mm -hmm. plumpness, that dewiness. So, so it acts like a humectant, right? Like exactly. A, it's yeah. like a sponge. It sucks yeah. in all the... All, exactly. And so, see, you know more than you think, Will. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be humble. This guy's a, guy a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> he is. So we need a cleanser. We need moisturizer. A serum. Serum. Okay. And a moisturizer. Okay. Three steps and then sunscreen. Okay. So four steps, really. And it's really easy. A lot of men follow that very, it's, it's super easy for men to follow because it's like you cleanse, mm -hmm. you put a serum on, you put a cream on, and then you put sunscreen. It all takes under a minute. That still sounds like a lot of steps. <laughs> <laughs> Seamus has a very healthy microbiome. He he like he, t tell her for a while you weren't washing your hair, but he had like amazing for a while? hair. Yeah, I mean I still don't. Okay, I, I, I haven't I used shampoo in years. Not amazing. Wow. So what do you use? <laughs> Water, uh, occasionally some coconut oil. What was okay. the thing from Vermont um, that you mentioned? Um, Do you not use it? Well, uh, oh well, Switchel. You mean the drink? Yeah, yeah. No, no. But I, um, I used to, I used to. Well, I still do this sometimes. Um, uh, apple cider vinegar. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Skin, it was, yeah. Your your hair is very shiny, actually. Yeah. No, I, I I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I haven't, you know, I haven't put shampoo in it in years. Wow. See, that's, yeah, I mean, I, that's, do you use that's not, that's not entirely true, though. I mean, I, like, I will wash my hair once in a blue moon with shampoo, but I use the I use the Goop sea salt shampoo. And and then like that's it. Yeah. Is that if it. you're like? Is that like a special I, occasion? Special occasion. Well, usually that's only if like my hair is starting to smell and people yeah. are complaining <laughs> about it. Just Yom Kippur wow. once a year. I'm gonna take yeah. a whiff after. Yeah, you smell it. Tell me what you think. <laughs> <laughs> and you famously, now famously, on the Goop Lab on Netflix did a microneedling PRP treatment on Gwyneth. Yes. Uh, people, it, it made the world wonder what the heck is she doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, can you explain that for people that have seen that and maybe want to learn more about it? F absolutely. So I've been doing microneedling and PRP for since the beginning of and my what's career. what's PRP for people? Platelet-rich plasma. So basically, mm -hmm. I take your blood and I spin it in a centrifuge and I collect all these growth factors and I separate them and I suck them out and I apply them to your skin and I needle in. Huh. Okay, so it creates those microchannels. And so what you're doing is you're encouraging your fibroblasts at the very bottom to increase collagen production. And so patients notice massive changes in pigmentation, uh, collagen production, pore size refinement, and all of this is done with, it's fairly safe, mm -hmm. it's very safe, and it's very effective. It's crazy. I've done PRP in my knee, but I never thought about it for, for skin. Yes, and so for, for your knee, I mean, there's so many different ways to use PRP, you know, mm -hmm. for, for joint pain and for, you know, damage to um, certain cartilage. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're using it for, I mean, I've been doing it for 17 years. I've been doing it on myself. Wow. Um, yeah, wow. that's what I do in all my free time. <laughs> in the mirror with a needle, like sticking <laughs> yourself in the face. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, you know, it's really made a difference for me personally, and yeah. I've, I've used it on patients. And I know uh, Gwyneth is a really big fan of it. And, you know, I really noticed a difference in her skin. And she was, you know, she's come for several treatments with me. So she's like, Nigma, we should film this. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, let's do it. How often should some people, should we do that if we're going to do something like well, that? Well, it depends. You know, like you can get one treatment and see how you do from the one treatment. And for people who have, you know, pigmentation issues or they have um, scars, scarring, yeah. scarring and mm -hmm. acne scars is a big one because, you know, acne scars are really tough to get rid of. But the um, microneedling and PRP is 
a miracle mm-hmm. with with acne scars. Hmm. Amazing. Can we go back to uh, just uh, to the question about um, sunscreen? Yes. Because um, I, I try to remember to put it on. Yes. I'm, I'm not great about it, but I try yeah. to remember. But at the same time, we also shouldn't we? I feel like we're scared of the sun. Like we have this. Uh, this whole there's this this paranoia that we're everyone's going to get skin cancer and we you know we need to cover ourselves up and not be exposed to the sun yet we know that i mean not only for for vitamin d absorption but uh, or production but also just for hormonally i i personally feel so much better when i have some sun exposure every day i know there's a huge difference and i'm worried about okay if i'm lathering myself with up with a ton of sunscreen am i really benefiting from from my exposure to to the sun that's such a good question. And, you know, I think it really depends on the person, you know, it depends mm-hmm. on the, per- the the type of skin that you have. And if you have a risk factor for skin cancers, various skin cancers have, have been diagnosed before, you have to be really mm-hmm. careful. And, and in that case, definitely be really keen on your sunscreen. You know, in other people's cases, I think it's an also important to feel the sun and to get some sun. I'm not saying mm-hmm. completely stay out of the sun. Yeah. Um, I know I'm I'm guilty of it. I I really avoid the sun. Like I'm like kind of like a mm-hmm. vampire. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I did live in London for mm-hmm. eleven years. Right, exactly. What sun? <laughs> there was zero sun, so I got yeah. really used to it. So living here, I'm just always like very aware of you know pigmentation, mm-hmm. you know, just aesthetic reasons. But you know, for me, I'm not as likely to you know have higher risk for skin cancer than mm-hmm. you know somebody else with really really fair skin. So it. You know, it depends on your genetics. It depends on your family history. And where they live. Where well. you yeah. live as well. But I, I, I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I've heard that folks that have darker pigmentation um, have greater difficulty in, in, like, for instance, in London, climates where yes. regions where there isn't as much direct sun exposure, they tend to have lower levels of vitamin D as a result. 100%. So does that mean that if you do have darker pigmentation and you're living in in an environment where there isn't a lot of sun, that it's more important for you to be taking exogenous vitamin D? Absolutely. Always get your levels tested. Uh So at least you know, you know, baseline of where you are when you started. And, you know, you can test your blood levels three months later just to see if you are taking the right form of vitamin D and the absorption of it as well. Where do you like, like, where, where where should someone's vitamin D levels be? Uh, I think definitely above 70 or mm-hmm. 80, you know, I, yeah. I, that's kind of the range I look into. I get a bit worried if they're down in the 50s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Dr. Nyingma, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for joining our conversation with Dr. Nyingma Talib. I loved hearing about this whole idea, really, that, that skin health starts in the gut. And there was so much to learn. And, you know, I, I'm guilty of not really taking the best care of my skin, but I picked up on a lot of great tips. There's a lot of stuff that now I have a um, little more information about how to um, to age gracefully. And I like that she talked about that. She wasn't like, oh, it is about aging is natural. Aging is a beautiful process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what we're all doing at this very instant. And she liked our skin. And she liked our skin. Well, I'm nice going to do her, yeah. her four-week protocol in the book so I can look like a fetus. Exactly. <laughs> You're literally going back to the fetus it. protocol from Dr. Uh, Enigma. Exactly, but it was it was so much great information. If you want to learn more about Dr. Enigma Talib, you can go to healthydoc.com and make sure to grab copies of her books, "Reverse the Signs of Aging" and "Younger Skin Starts in the Gut." 
Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit them up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. Okay, for another Ask Me Anything, this one comes from Sarah, and she wants to know, what are the less obvious signs of inflammation? Well, you wrote a book on it, so, well, you better have an answer. I did did write a book on it. So it's called The Inflammation Spectrum, and the name is what is going on throughout the the world. Inflammation exists on a spectrum from low-grade symptoms to more extreme symptoms. So Sarah's question is very poignant in the sense of these less obvious signs of inflammation. I would say the most common ones that I see would be mild fatigue, not chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a more aggressive form of that, Mm -hmm. but neuroinflammation as a whole. So you can lump fatigue there, anxiety, so like a generalized anxiety disorder, just a sense of anxiousness, some low-grade depression, uh, mild, moderate depression, uh, and digestive problems. And then you could say musculoskeletal would be a part of that too, so muscle tightness. But I would say the brain component is something that I see a lot of the time because it is so pervasive and it is a check engine light as as far as a functional medicine is concerned, as far as it being a sign of inflammation in the body. How about you? What, what do you, I mean, you've lived this firsthand. Yeah, well, so, so common, I mean, obviously the com- the common ones are, are things like puffy face or, you know, we talked to Nigma about um, wine mm-hmm. face, for instance. But yeah. one of the ones that um, I don't know that people pick up on as much and I definitely noticed was blurry vision. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was when I was dealing with a lot of inflammation, I wasn't feeling so well. Like I, I could tell that my vision would be was a little bit blurry. And it was almost yeah. like my like my eyelids were heavy. And I'm pretty sure that that, you know, well, I I know because I could feel it in conjunction with when I was dealing with a flare up. So that was definitely an indicator to me of of um, of of inflammation. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.